the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed. Good morning. Eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock and we're underway. It's a Thursday, the very first morning of the ninth month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Let's make it a day worth uh, celebrating, huh? Let's make good use of this day. Let's make good use of this time together over the course of the next three hours. We're going to have to, because for a couple of hours tonight, it's going to be very, very difficult for all of us. A couple of hours of prime time Biden. And I say a couple of hours because we have no idea, since there is no uh, precedent for this. There is no... Uh, there's no history upon which we can rely to find out what is going to happen tonight because this is no ordinary primetime address scheduled in the uh, calendar because of a uh, because of a uh, State of the Union address or this is no emergency uh, uh, addressed to the nation because we have killed Osama bin Laden again or some other top foreign enemy. Uh, there's no national emergency being issued. There's no public health declarations coming. This is just pure politics. Joe Biden's going to speak to the country tonight, and we're going to have to listen. And we're going to have to listen, and we're going to have to respond. Um, i got to tell you, this is uh, this is one of the things that is, I think, 
more dis- what's the word I want to use here? I almost said disgusting, and I almost said disruptive at the same time. Either one of them are actually wor- uh, uh, the correct words. This is just more of the rigged system in which Republicans have to compete and fight to help represent the massive number, tens of hundreds of millions of Americans, quite frankly, uh, that they are pledged to represent. This is just more of the rigged system. I'll borrow President Trump's word there. Rigged. It is just completely, uh, um, the, the scale is balanced, or not balanced, the scale is weighted against them. This is just the kind of unfair, this is why Donald Trump called the press the enemy of the people. This is what he was talking about. He was spot on then, it's spot on now. What's going to happen tonight is just completely inappropriate. It is unprecedented. This is free advertising being given by the networks to one presidential, uh, well, one president whose party is up for re-election, if you will, to their majorities in the House and in the Senate, such as a 50-50 majority with a tiebreaker can be. Uh, but this is a pure political moment tonight. And I don't know if it's going to last 10 minutes 30 minutes, 60 minutes, or 120 minutes. It might be two hours of free advertising. I don't know. What I do know is that it's going to be dark. It's going to be cryptic. It's going to be insulting. It's going to be aggressive. It is going to be, well, dishonest. It is going to be full full of lies. We know what's going to happen tonight, and we're going to talk about it. We have to. Like I said, I'm going to make these three hours count because you're going to be stuck with the two hours or whatever it is tonight uh, trying to deal with all of this. Coming up on the program in a half, uh, excuse me, in one hour, at the top of hour number two, we're going to talk to our friend Dr. Everett Piper. He's got information on the culture war that you need to have, some very important issues uh, to discuss that I will let him bring to you. Uh, at 1035, Shane Harris from Newsweek has a terrific piece out, basically saying what I have said, but in much more detail, do not fall for Tim Ryan's I'm a MAGA uh, senatorial candidate (laughs) campaign uh, uh, advertisements. He literally is trying to paint himself as America first. He's pulling away from his party and my party got it wrong and boy, I'm a fighter for you. Uh, He's trying to almost make himself sound like he's a Trump supporter. Uh, Don't fall for it. Shane Harris has the details about how Tim Ryan is still, and maybe more than ever, the liberal Democrat we have always known him to be. Then at 1110, Jake Tapscott's going to join us from PJ Media. We're going to discuss more on what we talked about yesterday uh, in that PJ Media article about EVs and the forced mandating mandated uh, uh, purchase of electric vehicles that is coming. No fewer than 15 states have made pledges, according to multiple reports, that uh, as of 2035, so 13 years from now, no one will be able to buy a gasoline-powered engine in those states. They, they will all have been converted to full electric vehicles by that time. That's an astounding thing. And some might say, good, it's great for the planet, it's great for the climate. Those people are morons. Those people have no earthly idea what they're talking about, and Jake Tapscott in PJ Media has the details as to why. So those are the guests today, Dr. Everett Piper, Shane Harrison Newsweek, Jake Tapscott from PJ Media, and, of course, you, 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. Either one of those numbers will get you right here. So before we get into Biden's presentation tonight and what can be expected and the incredible uh, unprecedented, unfair nature of it, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and rise. 
And if you are a patriot, stand and face a flag nearby. If you don't have one, imagine one. If you're driving, you don't have to stand. That's hard to do. You can put your hand on your heart, though, and join us for our Pledge of Allegiance. If you will be watching and cheering an unprecedented national primetime address just to call half of the country evil and to call them threats to democracy... If you're going to cheer for that, then you have no idea what democracy is, nor that flag we are going to pledge our allegiance to. So you may go ahead and you know, stand down. As a matter of fact, go take a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback. For the rest of us, however, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. So Biden is going to deliver what is being described as dark remarks tonight to portray his political opposition as a threat to democracy. A bunch of extremists who are trying to take down the country. Biden will go to Philadelphia tonight, just outside Independence Hall. His remarks are expected, according to reports, to be a darker version of the speech he gave on the 2020 campaign trail comparing the election battle to a battle for the soul of the nation. He hinted at the tone and the substance of his speech during a rally in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, Tuesday, when he accused Republicans of abandoning the rule of law. Biden made similar inflammatory remarks last week at a rally in Maryland when he accused the Republicans of becoming the party of semi-fascism. At that event, Biden went a step further by saying former President Trump and Republicans were a threat to not just personal rights and economic security, but they're a threat to our very democracy. Now, I'm not going to repeat everything we did in response to that all week long, pointing out who is a real threat to American liberty, who is a real threat to American democracy, who is truly trying to assault and change the nation, and who is trying to defend the constitutional principles upon which it was founded. I think we've covered that in some depth. And I don't think it needs to be repeated. But you do understand that this is pure, unadulterated projection on steroids. Tonight, he will project all of his own views at Republicans. He wants to destroy the country. He does not believe in law and order. He does not believe in the rule of law. He does not believe in the electoral process. He's going to project all of those things on Republicans. He does not condemn riots. He does not condemn assaults on police officers. As long as the riots are in the right cause and the police officers are the bad guys, he only does that when it comes to January 6th. He will project that all onto Republicans. This primetime address, purely partisan politics, less than 70 days, less than 10 weeks from the midterm elections, are going to be the sharpest divide yet, going to lead to the sharpest divide yet uh, between the two parties, between the two ideologies, the dominant ideologies in the United States of America. And they're coming from a man who called himself a uniter. We're coming from a man who said that he will bring this country together and be the president for Republicans and the president for Democrats as well. This is what he said during his, um, uh, during his campaign. So how do we know what he's going to say tonight? How are we you know, so confident? How am I so confident that he's going to stand up there and attack Republicans by the millions? And people need to understand that. 
People need to understand that no matter how you feel about the stolen election of 2020, even if you don't think it was stolen, I refer to it that way almost in passing because it just was. And it's very, very obvious to anybody who is being objective and anybody who is being fair and anybody who watched all of this go down, it is obvious that it was a stolen election. But let's say you cast all of that aside and you don't believe it was stolen. It was just an election. Even if you just believe it was an election and Biden won, you still have to acknowledge 80 million people voted for Donald Trump. Roughly half of the voting electorate. The voting age population. That means he is calling half of the voting population of America extremists, calling them uh, 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 lawbreakers, calling them people trying to terrorize the country, calling them terrorists, trying to uh, destroy the country, destroy the rule of law, destroy everything. And all of that projection, of course, we know is going to happen because we got a small taste of it from his press secretary. Yesterday, Karine Jean-Pierre just pulled all the, all the stops. Karine Jean-Pierre, did I mention that she's black and she's gay? She's black and she's gay. Just make sure you know that. The White House wanted you to know this as soon as she was hired, that she's the first black gay uh, press secretary that they've ever had. So there you go. Got to make sure that you know the two most important qualifications are blackness and gayness in the Biden administration. So black and gay, Karine Jean-Pierre yesterday, uh, just pulled the, the curtain back and just laid it all bare. This is what the president thinks of, of Republicans. The president thinks that there is an extremist threat to our democracy. Uh, the president has been clear, as he can be, on that particular uh, piece when we talk about a democracy, when we talk about our freedoms. Uh, the way that he sees is the MAGA Republicans are the most energized part of the Republican Party. Uh, the, that extreme, this is an extreme threat to our democracy, to our freedom, uh, to our rights. Uh, they just don't respect the rule of law. The president thinks that... She, she, she said those words out loud. They just don't respect the rule of law. MAGA Republicans are Trump Republicans. Trump Republicans drive the Republican Party right now. President Trump is, without question, the head of the Republican Party right now. Don't tell me about who the minority leader is in the Senate. Don't tell me who the minority leader is in the uh, in the House. Don't tell me about any governors. The leader of the pres or the uh, Republican Party right now is Donald Trump, and and this polling shows that. Straw polls show that at CPAC events and so forth. For good or bad, better or worse, that is the reality of the situation. So when Joe Biden says through his spokesperson, Karine Jean-Pierre, did I mention she's gay and she's black? Got to make sure you know that. She's gay and she's black. And she says that Joe Biden really believes that the MAGA element of the Republican Party is an extreme threat to our democracy who do, does not support the rule of law. They do not believe in the rule of law. That means she's saying the Republican Party, period. Not the element of the Republican Party that is MAGA, the Republican Party, period. Because Donald Trump is by far and away the most popular uh, member of the Republican Party. And as a former president who was unfairly removed from office and who has been the target of nonstop harassment for six consecutive years, he has the support of the Republican Party writ large. So they are, we are a MAGA Republican Party. And it doesn't even have to be Donald Trump, by the way, at the head of it to remain a MAGA party. But make America great again is a, is, it's a, it's a system of beliefs. It's a doctrine that says we need to stop bowing to the rest of the world and work first on America's, 
uh, prosperity. Work first on America's security. Work first on America's opportunity. That's what Make America Great Again is all about. And so when she says, and Biden says tonight, that the MAGA Republicans are the dangers to this country, they are literally saying Republicans, period. Because we are a MAGA Republican party. United in solidarity behind the message of Donald Trump, if not everything that the man says. The message, not the messenger. The belief in the ideology of a making America great again. That is who we are. So when they attack the MAGA part of the party, they are attacking the party. That means every single one of us. What he sees is the MAGA Republicans are the most energized part of the Republican Party. Uh, That extreme, this is an extreme threat to our democracy, to our freedom, uh, to our rights. Uh, They just don't respect the rule of law. They don't respect the rule of law. They don't respect our freedoms. They don't respect our rights, she said. As if I need to remind you that she represents a president who is the leader of a party that decided to take away the rights of every person in America that was deemed to be non-essential in March of 2020. The right to go to work. The right to go to a doctor. The right to go shopping. The right to go to the bar. The right to go to the gym. The right to go to a friend's house. Those rights and those freedoms were taken away by leftism, politics, and politicians who could not wait to use the coronavirus quote-unquote pandemic slash health emergency to exert their full and total control over the populace. And they have the nerve to look into television cameras and into the eyes of millions of Americans and call Republicans fascists. It's really an astounding thing. It's really a remarkable ability. You have to give them credit for the ability to do it, evil as it may be. It's an astounding thing that they can actually try to pull that off and make Americans believe that Republicans are the threat to rights. Republicans are the threats to freedoms. That Republicans are the threats to democracy. Even as they plan a primetime address tonight, which literally is an affront to democracy. Because unless they give an equal and uh, equal opportunity and the same exact amount of time to the nationally televised audience for the Republicans to respond and to give their own view of the battle for the soul of our nation and tell the truth about what has done been done under the Brandon administration, then this is a full-out frontal assault on democracy, an attempt to skew and to sway people less than 10 weeks before the midterm elections and the decision that is made as to which party controls the Congress, the legislative branch of this government. That is the threat to, to democracy. 216-901-0945, This is Always Right Radio. I want to hear from you, and we'll be, we'll be right back.
28 now, Always Right Radio, AM 1420. The answer, thanks for being with us. I wonder if tonight after uh, Biden, or included in Biden's presentation as to why Democrats are the salt of the earth and Republicans are evil extremists who are hell-bent on destroying the country because they have no belief in the rule of law, I wonder if they'll invite Democratic Representative Elaine Luria uh, up to speak. The one who admitted to yesterday what we already knew. If you mentioned the Inflation Reduction Act, it, that might be the name, but it's a huge environmental bill that includes a lot of things such as the tax credits necessary um, to make these kind of developments. <laughs> she just admitted what we already knew, um, but it's probably not something Joe Biden will want to hear on stage tonight. She admitted that the Inflation Reduction, Reduction Act has nothing to do with inflation. And in fact, as we know, it will slightly increase inflation. Uh, she admitted, though, that it that, quote, that might be the name, but it's a huge environmental bill. It's a huge environmental bill that is intended on forcing Americans into, quote-unquote, clean energy. You know, things like electric vehicles, things like, you know, uh, the the electric batteries that cars are all going to have to run on, starting by 2035 at the very latest. Everybody's going to have to convert it over from a gas engine to an electric vehicle uh, uh, battery. And I'm just kind of curious. I wonder if this will come up on stage t- tonight as well. Days after California agreed to ban gasoline-powered cars by 2035, joined by about 14 other states. Days after that, this memo (laughs) came down in California. (laughs) You can't write this stuff. Starting tomorrow through Tuesday, California and the West are expecting extreme heat that is likely to strain the grid with increased energy demands, especially over the holiday weekend. Um... The ISO is taking measures to bring all available resources online. Uh, During the flex alert, consumers are urged to reduce energy from 4 to 9 p.m. when the system is most stressed because of the demand for electricity remains high and there is less solar energy available. The top three conservation actions are to set the thermostat to 78 degrees. Oh, that's comfortable. Or higher. Avoid using large appliances and... Don't charge your electric vehicles. This is literally what they said just days after saying everybody has to use electric vehicles. By the way, you can't charge them when you come home from work between 4 and 9. This is impossible to understand, impossible to comprehend. I promise you, Joe Brandon will not take questions tonight, and I promise you he won't allow this issue to come up either. It's 930. We'll get news now. We'll come back. Let's hear from you. 216-901-0945. Always Right Radio. Right back. Thirty-eight now, always right. Radio, thanks for being with us right here on AM 1420. The answer, don't forget to check out the top news stories of the day at alwaysright.us, alwaysright.us. Uh, a lot of ground to cover here. I welcome your thoughts at 216-901-0945. That's 44, or excuse me, let me do it all over again. I butchered it. 216-901-0945 or 888 888- 
281-1110. And we'll get you up and on the radio. Let me pivot a little bit to uh, another issue that I guarantee you Biden will not address tonight. Joe Brandon will not talk about the porous southern border as he battles or talks about the battle for the soul of our nation in a blatantly partisan political speech on national television tonight. He will not talk about that border, and he will not talk about um, the tremendous progress that is being made by the governor of, of Texas in trying to open the eyes of the rest of the country to the border crisis by making other states border states. They make by making big blue democrat run cities feel just a tiny fraction of the pressure that the border states and the big cities in Texas and in New Mexico and in Arizona and in California uh that they they experience by this extraordinary and mostly Texas by the way this extraordinary um uh, overrun of four or five million illegal aliens crossing our border, all bogusly claiming uh, asylum, because that's what they have been told to do by the Brandon administration, to be allowed to stay. So um, Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, as you know, started sending busloads of these illegal aliens when they got crossed over and processed to Washington, D.C. Muriel Bowser, the mayor there, says, Help! Get them out of here! You can't keep doing this! National Guard, keep these aliens away from us. I'm paraphrasing, but that's literally what, not literally, but figuratively what she said. She requested not once but twice for the National Guard to deal with this massive influx of busloads of illegal aliens to Washington, D.C. This despite Muriel Bowser proudly declaring the district as being a sanctuary city or a sanctuary district, a sanctuary place of safety and respite where you don't get deported from um, in, in Washington, D.C. So she's like, what are you doing sending these people here? You can't keep doing that. Keep them down there in Texas where they belong. You deal with them. You're on the border. We're not. Just among the most hypocritical things you've ever heard. Until, of course, some of those buses then started being routed to New York City. And then what did you hear from New York City? What did you hear from the governor of New York? You're at Eric Adams. Help! Get these people away from me! What are you doing bringing illegal aliens here? This is blatantly political partisanship. This is uh, using these people as pawns for your political gains. How dare you send them to New York? Kathy Hochul, the governor of New York. Oh, my gosh, Greg Abbott should be prosecuted for this. How dare he send these illegal aliens up here? Why should we deal with their problems? And now, for the first time, busloads of illegal aliens are going to another big blue city with big blue sanctuary city rules and sanctuary city uh, tags that they themselves have chosen. Now he's sending them to Chicago. And Lori Lightfoot is saying what? Help! Get these people the hell away from me! What are you doing sending these people here? Lori Lightfoot's office said in a statement that Abbott, quote, is without shame or humanity. Quote, As a city, we are doing everything we can to ensure these immigrants and their families can receive shelter, food, and most importantly, protection. This is not new. Chicago welcomes hundreds of migrants every year to our city and provides much-needed assistance, a spokesperson for Lightfoot's office said. 
Unfortunately, Texas Governor Greg Abbott is without any shame or humanity. But ever since he put these racist practices of expulsion in place, we have been working with our community partners to ready the city to receive these individuals. Adams, the mayor of New York, by the way, said on December 7th that the actions of Abbott are horrific. This is horrific when you think about what the governor is doing, he said. So we have horrific, we have uh, without shame, and without humanity. This is how big, blue city Democrat mayors refer to the idea of sharing the blessings. You heard me. They believe that this country is better off when we take in millions and millions of illegal aliens crossing our southern border, claiming asylum, and then allowing them to stay forever. They say these immigrants bless our country with their presence and their skills. Never mind the fact that 99% of them come across with no skills whatsoever and take up the blue-collar, unskilled labor jobs that are typically taken up by uh, minority Americans, American minorities who are lower in the, on the educational scale. Never mind the fact that they really have no skill, but they call it a blessing that they're here. Well, here's Greg Abbott saying, you know, why should we get to enjoy all of the blessings of thousands upon thousands of illegal aliens crossing the border and trying to settle in Texas? We should share those blessings with our friends uh, in the Northeast. We should share these blessings with our friends in D.C., share these blessings with our friends in Chicago. Who knows? Maybe next we'll have some buses going to Los Angeles, maybe some buses going to uh, to San Francisco. Let's share the blessings. But isn't it funny how they say that these people should be welcomed with open arms? Eric Adams, Lori Lightfoot, Muriel Bowser, Jim Kenney in Philadelphia. You notice how you know how they all say that these illegal aliens should be welcomed with open arms because we are a welcoming society. But yet when they come to their doorstep, there's no open arms. They're met with a roadblock. Get them out of here. Doggone you, Greg Abbott. How dare you send all of these illegal aliens who need to be provided for to us? Can't you do it in Texas? This is the mindset. And it's also just a a glimpse into the depth of the stupidity of the modern American Democrat. It's really, really hard to quantify how they can scream, let these people in. Let these people in until they come to their doorstep. And then it's get these people out of here. Get them out of here, put them somewhere else. Which is why I said a few weeks back when Muriel Bowser was first getting these uh, busloads from, uh, from Greg, Greg Abbott, and then when they had just started going to New York as well. I said it then, and I'll say it again now. And when I go to Washington, D.C. next month, I promise you, I will make this a, a focal point of all of the discussions that I have. I will be asking, why won't they send busloads from, from, uh, uh, from Texas to Delaware? Send them right to the beach house neighborhood owned by, uh, by uh, Joe Biden. If we're trying to make the Democrats aware of what the problem really looks like by sending them to these big blue cities, sanctuary cities, why don't we literally send them to the feet of the man responsible for them being here? If Muriel Bowser is angry with anybody, it shouldn't be Greg Abbott. If Muriel Bowser or if uh, Eric Adams is angry with anybody, it shouldn't be Greg Abbott. If Lori Lightfoot is angry with anybody, 
uh, it shouldn't, other than her mirror, it shouldn't be Greg Abbott. If she's angry with anybody, it should be with Joe Biden. He is the one sending them across the border, calling for them, red carpeting them, saying, let's go. This is where you got to be. And then Greg Abbott is saying, oh, my goodness, that's way too many. Uh, We have to move them along to other parts of the country. How dare you, you racist? It's it's impossible to comprehend and justify. So if if Biden won't go to the border, then the border's got to come to Biden. And when I go to uh, to D.C. next month, and like I said, uh, I'll be there broadcasting live from Washington, D.C., from the Federation for American Immigration Reform Convention on September 21st and 22nd. I'll be talking to as many luminaries in the field of, uh, of uh, immigration, Border Patrol, ICE, uh, policymakers, legislators, uh, landowners who are suffering down there. I'll be talking to as many people who are directly connected to this issue as humanly possible. And we will talk about when are we going to make sure that Biden won't go down and actually see what's happening that will bring the problem to Biden. It's great that you're bringing it to Lightfoot and to Adams. Probably pretty soon they're going to be coming to Cleveland. Because why not? Big blue Democrat city. Um, you know, that, that of course says they welcome all of these immigrants. Probably coming to Cleveland too. And then, as I said, probably to places like Los Angeles and uh, uh, and uh, San Francisco, big liberal cities who claim that they welcome illegal aliens until they are actually brought to their doorstep. All right, uh, let's go to uh, Tom, who's calling us from Richfield. Hey, Tom, thanks for waiting. You're on AM 1420, The Answer. Fire away. Hi, how are you? Good, hey, sir. I was just thinking, I don't have a lot of time to talk, but I was just thinking, they always counterpunch us. So we're sending people to... All the other parts of the country, like Chicago and all these places, that's exactly what they want. You see what I mean? Explain. Well, they're they're busing them from the border into different cities, correct? All over right. the United States. Right. Right. So Abbott's just saying, hey, we're going to take them up here and put them here anyway. So he's putting them up in these Democratic cities, but he's also dispersing them. You, you see what, what I mean? You know what I'm trying it's really hard. Like I'm trying really hard to understand the point you're making, and I'm failing. I'm sorry. Uh, so, so who? When you maybe we need to get rid of the pronouns here and staying they. Let's say names. Who is no, the illegals? The illegals. Okay. So he's so, putting so them on Ab- buses. Ab- Abbott, is, Abbott is putting them on buses voluntarily. People need to understand that. By the way, there is a no. It is okay. he's not able to force them. It's say, hey, this bus is going right, to right. New York. Who wants to go? And they get on voluntarily. They go to New right. York. Go ahead. But also. Biden and that administration, they're putting them on buses and, and flying them in at night and putting them in, in different cities throughout the whole United States, correct? Right. Yes, they were. They were doing okay. exactly that. Yep. So, basically, Abbott, I, I think it's good what he's doing, but you see what I'm saying, how he's also helping So you think he's doing, okay, now I, now I understand your point. Okay, you gotcha. what I mean? I do. Not gotcha on now. purpose, but, but to prove a point. But it's actually going along exactly with what they want to do in the first place. Well, except except that except that they they don't because what Biden was not doing when he was shipping them uh, on buses and airplanes in the dead of night to various parts around the country, he wasn't putting them in these big blue cities like uh, Muriel Bowser's D.C. and Eric Adams's New York. Otherwise, uh, they would have right. said, "Stop that! Don't do that." He's sending them to right. other places where they can kind of you know can kind of uh, essentially blend in, and there won't be a lot of fanfare about it. But and now that now that Abbott is taking them, else. yeah, now that Abbott is taking them directly to the biggest cities and the biggest voices that that claim to be in support of of illegals and our sanctuary city leaders uh now that he's sending them to them 
if they were smart, they would be like, yes, please bring them. We love them. This is what we're, but they hate it because they know what really comes with a massive amount of illegal aliens. A whole lot of crime, a whole lot of problem, a whole lot of poverty, uh, a whole lot of drugs, uh, you know, potentially cartel and gang members. We know that these are not always good people who are coming across the border. Absolutely. And, and so Adams knows it, Lightfoot knows it, Bowser so knows it, and, and that's why they're saying, stop it, you racist. So if you look at the Marxist plan, by putting them in there, and if they're nefarious people, mm-hmm. all they're going to do is help to destroy those cities and completely take them down. So we're going to lose those cities. Yeah, well, we've already lost those cities. Quite frankly, if you look at the violent crime rates in those cities now, we've already lost those cities anyway. But your point is well made. Thank you, Tom. It took me a while to get there to where you were going with this, you know, that Abbott is actually helping them. He is, but he isn't. And and, and, and I do get it, and I appreciate the call. He is, he is but he isn't. He is... He is Shining a huge spotlight on the problem now. Now, because you want to, I mean, look, we live in Cleveland, Ohio. I can't, I can't lie to you. Um, many, many days go by. I doubt I could say weeks, but maybe weeks go by when I do this show about tons of issues and I neglect to even remember or talk about the border because it's just something that is back of the mind. Want to know why? Because it's 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 far away from us, you understand? It's far away from us. We're not suffering the pain. Meanwhile, down there in Texas, they are dealing with it every single day. Nobody thinks about it unless they're in the middle of it. So what Abbott has done here is forced everybody who is far away to think about it and to deal with it. And what better way to do it than to put him in the blue cities that are making it happen? The people who might have an impact on Joe Biden by saying, hey, you got to do something about the border. Look what they're doing. These people are coming up here now, and this is killing our economy. It's killing our cities. So I think what Abbott is doing here is is helpful much more than it is kind of you know, going along with what the administration wants to do and shipping these people around the country. I think what he's doing is shining a white-hot spotlight on it by ticking off the blue lead- blue leaders that are responsible for it. Thanks very much for the call. I appreciate it. Right back. Always right. Radio. Repeat the line. For the last time, anything you put on that prompter, Burgundy will read. On The Answer. Uh, that's pretty much the reality of it. Uh, let me go to Brett, calling us from Worcester now on AM 1420, The Answer. Brett, good morning. Go right ahead. Hey, uh, Bob. How you doing? Good, sir. Uh, I saw a couple things on the news, a couple news clips this morning that just kind of put the whole mindset, I think, of the illegals that are coming across the border. Uh, one of them, when he got off the bus in Chicago, pretty much just thanked Bob, uh, Joe Biden. And then another one was interviewed, and... Uh, was you know he was kind of shocked that he expected people to be there waiting for him. He had nowhere, no idea where he was supposed to go or what he was supposed to do. So I don't know what these guys think and gals and kids mm-hmm. coming across are, are thinking, but I think they expect to be welcomed with open arms. And here's where you go. Here's your money. Here's where you stay. Here's your job. Here's what you do. And it's just pretty telling of you know what those migrant trains do. Uh, coming across the border thinking and what they're told. There's no, there's no doubt because they've basically been told that this is where they should come for their for their dream to be fulfilled and uh, whether they come legally by you know filling out a request for a green card or in a visa or whether they come illegally just come and we will find a way to make it happen for you that's what I mean by the red carpet Joe Biden has basically said to them we'll provide for your needs 
And guess what? These cities in which the um, uh, illegals are being bused, they are billing the federal government or requesting massive grants to provide them with shelter, with food, with health care, and so forth. And, of course, where does the government get that money? From you and from me. So, yeah, they fully expect to come here and not be left homeless in the streets. They expect to come here and be sheltered, fed, and given health care and an opportunity to take jobs from, from uh, existing American citizens. That's, that's exactly why they continue to come. And by the way, that's just the would-be workers. You're right about them, and thank you for the call, Brett. That's to say nothing of the cartel members who are coming here for business. That's to say nothing of the gang members that are coming here for business. That is to say nothing of the human traffickers that are coming here for business. And their business, of course, is evil. We'll get news now, top of the hour. Then we're going to come back and talk to Dr. Everett Piper on AM 1420, The Answer. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed. Hour number two underway now. Nine minutes past ten o'clock. It's a Thursday. It is the first morning of the ninth month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Going to make it count. You know, it's funny. Earlier on, I said next month I'll be broadcasting live from D.C. for two days from the Federation for American Immigration Reform. Yeah, I was off. It's this month now that we are, of course, into September. So coming up on the 21st and 22nd, I'll be broadcasting live from D.C. We will talk to every major player, from the legislative uh, branch to the uh, ICE directors to the Border Patrol agents to the cattle ranchers and families who were impacted by illegal immigration down on the border to human rights, uh, human trafficking uh, 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 advocates, and so much more. So that'll be on September 21st and 2nd, live from D.C. Now, back to current events. We've got a lot to talk about with our next guest, uh, who is our regular Thursday commentator on pretty much all things culture war-related, Dr. Everett Piper. He is a best-selling author. He is a former university president. He is a weekly columnist for The Washington Times. He is also now a candidate in the general election in November for uh, commissioner of Osage County, Oklahoma. Dr. Piper, good to have you back. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure. So we always dive into your first or your most recent column, I should say, first whenever we have our conversations. But as you pointed out to me off the air, um, a lot of ground we covered last week, talking about our children, uh, the battle for control of our kids between parents who actually do care, not all parents do, by the way, uh, and the government. Uh, and, uh, you know, big government re-education camps, which are essentially, uh, which is essentially a great euphemism and an accurate one for schools now. Do you want to hit that real quick? Well, I can't remember if I used the quote from Rod Dreher's book, Live but Not by Lies, last week or not. But I, if I did, repetition is probably good anyway here. <laughs> but Rod, Rod Dreher summarizes this very well in the American conservative where he cites his own book, his bestseller live not by lies. And he says this about today's educational establishment. He equates it to red China, to communist China's view of education. He says, we have been harmonized, which is China's term for neutralizing citizens as a threat to the social and political order. People born in the 1980s and afterwards are hopelessly lost. 
the brainwashing starts in nursery school. The state's information control apparatus has demolished the ability of the young to learn facts and to contradict the narrative. They live in a completely different world. They've been perfectly manipulated by their education and the party's propaganda. They ignore reality. It's been made easy for them. Close quote. Now, the interesting thing, Bob, is this. Rodrer is actually quoting uh, a, a Chinese individual who wrote that about the Cultural Revolution and everything that followed thereafter. He was saying that as an older Chinese citizen, that he still has the ability to think critically. But after the 1980s, when the Cultural Revolution actually started bearing through fruit in the educational establishment, their entire culture has lost the ability to think critically. And isn't that a warning for where we are in our culture today? Oh my gosh, it absolutely is, and uh, and that's why I'm I'm glad you brought it up. And Rodriguez's uh, uh, remark is 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 a, is a very accurate one. And you know what what's frustrating, Doctor Piper, is what we're talking about right now. What you wrote about and what Dreher, uh said um, in, in the American Conservative, it shouldn't be. Even though it was in the American Conservative, it shouldn't be. I don't think a terribly ideologically partisan issue. You know, we, I mean, at what point in our society did, did, you know, control of our children and their education and their development and their values and their, uh, uh, you know, their, their morals, at what point did it come up for debate as to who got to set that other than the parents? Um, and, 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 and maybe the clergy, and that's only if the parents choose to bring their kids into, you know, a religious lifestyle. I mean, when did that become a subject of debate, something that we would be, uh, you know, at each other's throats over? Well, you you probably could go back to John Dewey, the father of American modern education, where he said you can't make socialists out of individuals. Children who know how to think for themselves spoil the harmony of the collective society. John Dewey and his model of education put us in this mess. It was his assumption, because he was a card-carrying communist, he's a Marxist by admission, he believed in the collective over the individual. And all of our educational establishment from that point onward, when he started shifting gears, when he took over the professorship of education at Columbia, he shifted gears toward this model of government dictating to the parents what their children will learn, rather than parents being in charge of those children as a gift for God and being good stewards and custodians of their hearts, minds, and souls. Yeah, it's... um... It's an astounding thing. I remember back uh, in my early professional uh, uh, career before I got into radio as a teacher, and I remember having a very, very difficult student who was constantly disruptive, constantly uh, challenging my authority in the classroom and so forth, and I called home to the parent. This is year one, I think, first-year teacher. Called home to the parent to discuss the behavior, asking them to try to uh, you know, enforce, reinforce in their kid the importance of following the rules, stop disrupting the learning process for other students, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I remember the parent saying to me, well, he does that at home, too. We was hoping you could straighten him out. And I yeah. said... And I said to the man at that time, this is 1991, I said to the man at that time, sir, I'm supposed to educate your child, you're supposed to raise him. And I never thought that, you know, 30 years later, I'd be talking about this in these terms. But, Dr. Piper, that is literally the battle now. The teachers want to raise the kids instead of just educate them, which is the task that with which they have been given. And and this is a flashpoint in our culture right now. I know you and I go at it 
repeatedly on this show. But again, I said repetition, repetition, repetition. That's a good thing. We don't learn things. We don't embrace things. We don't even believe things until we repeat them a few times. So hitting this topic over and over again is not bad. We need to recognize that the government and the progressive left thinks these kids are theirs. They're telling you that. When you go to a board, a school board meeting, they're telling you to stand down. That's, this, this entire issue led to Glenn Youngkin being elected as governor in Virginia. And there's a reason for this. Parents are sick and tired of it. They're fed up with it. But here's the challenge. The next generation, the millennials that are coming up with their children, they don't, they don't care. Because they've been harmonized, as Rod Dreher is saying. It's a completely different attitude. They don't think there's any problem with these kids, their children, being wards of the state. They don't think they're custodians of these children as gifts of God. They think these kids belong to the collective. Yeah, that is exactly what they do believe. Let's let's kind of morph over into another element of this now. Um, and And this is the unholy alliance between hospitals and schools as it pertains to children's uh, medical procedures, particularly what they call uh, gender-affirming care. This is Christopher Rufo's latest work. He has been the foremost journalist, I think, in America working. There are a lot of them, but but I think nobody has done it better uh, covering this, uh, this trans agenda and the push to turn little children into sexual beings and thus to try to... Um, uh, destroy their bodies in one way or another for the rest of their lives so they can't turn back. The largest children's hospital in Chicago, which is our third largest city, has created partnerships with local school districts to promote radical gender theory, kink, BDSM, and trans-friendly sex toys, not for adults, for children. Uh, I won't go into the graphic details that he covers in this terrific piece for the City Journal, which I have linked to my webpage at alwayswrite.us, Dr. Piper, but I know you've seen it. Um, I, I, I want to get your thoughts. I mean, obviously, we, we know how we feel about the, the school aspect of this, but now the schools and the uh, medical centers, which are completely ignoring, in my opinion, their Hippocratic oaths, uh, but they, now they are combining to say to the schools, we will send you to the hospitals and the doctors, and the doctors will say, we are ready for you, and we will give you educational material to share with your students so that they come to us, uh, and away we go. Yeah, it, there's definitely a link here, and it obviously is a good segue from what we just talked about to this because it's all tied together. And the the Chicago um, uh, hospital that you're referring to is not the only one. The Boston Children's Hospital is doing the exact same thing. And the interesting thing when you go to that website, they actually say that they provide their gender services to 3-year-olds up to 25-year-olds at this children's hospital in Boston. 3-year-olds? Are you serious? You're going to start manipulating a three-year-old's identity. You're going to start changing their biological reality from male to female when they're three years old. This is not only bad science. This is bad philosophy. It's bad psychology. It's bad theology. And it's terrible ontology. Ontology being the reality of who we are. They're denying the basic fact of what a human being is. And they're claiming that three-year-olds can defy their parents because if the three-year-old wants to be a girl when he's a boy, the parents should have no say in this. And somebody else who's smarter than mom and dad should be able to intervene 
and change this kid's identity by affirming them. I've got news for you, Bob, and I think you'd agree with me this on, on parenting. When my boy wanted to pretend that he was something that he was not, and if that was unhealthy, if he thought he was Barney the Purple Dinosaur, I didn't affirm him if that became unhealthy. I challenged him, and I told him, you're not a dinosaur. You don't affirm deception, and you don't affirm lies. You don't affirm delusion. You challenge it, and you tell children, okay, playing make-believe is okay at times, but there are other times where it becomes unhealthy if you actually start believing this make-believe land of unicorns, leprechauns, and purple dinosaurs. You're not one. You're a boy. You're a human being. And hospitals should be encouraging that, and schools should be teaching that, not contradicting parents when they say what I just said. Well, Dr. Piper, as long as you're morphing from the uh, Chicago, not morphing, but moving from the Chicago hospital to the Boston hospital, uh, let me take you to San Francisco for this one. This is a, this is a surgeon, a plastic surgeon in San Francisco, bragging about his willingness and his performing of these radical uh, surgeries and treatments to minors with literally no age limit. Listen to gender surgery. In the past, I used to do cosmetic surgery. I'm a board-certified plastic surgeon, and I've always been drawn to things that are deeply impactful. In the GCC, Gender Confirmation Center in San Francisco, we kind of have these like secret missions. Now, now that it's on a slide, these public secret missions, which are uh, one of them is that we try to we try to live with our values 30 to 40 years in the future. So, and that puts us in a mindset of um, extreme affirmation because affirmation at that time is a foregone conclusion. This is a time in the future when gender is just a thing. Nobody makes a big deal out of it. People are being screened as children and adolescents for their gender journey and appropriate steps are taken to get them involved in a multidisciplinary process to get them where they need to go. That's, that's the future. Um, I do not have a minimum age of any sort in my practice. There's no chronological age that says you don't get surgery. Now, having said that, I don't think I've ever done a consult on a 12-year-old yet, but we would if one came our way. We just haven't had reason to. Um, and then we've done a number of 13-year-olds who, who we did consults on. I think I've done one or two 13-year-old surgeries. For the most part, it's 14 and up that by the time everything comes together, plus insurance approval, plus everything that surgery actually gets completed. I find it inter- interesting, by the way, Dr. Piper, <clears throat> that he said, well, for most of them, it's 14 and over, because they are clearly able to make decisions on what they want to do with the rest of their lives and with their bodies at the age of 14. I mean, I mean, good, I mean, we're not monsters here. But then he also said, as long as the insurance gets aligned. Uh, according to one report, this doctor has made somewhere in the neighborhood of $20 million butchering young children and and uh, literally changing their bodies for the rest of their lives. So they're not even hiding it. You heard what he said. We have secret missions to normalize child sex change surgery. But then he said, well, we're, now that we're putting it on the Internet, it's not a secret anymore. They're, they're not even hiding. They think this is okay. Yeah, and here's the rhetorical question, or a slippery slope question, if you will. And it's not necessarily fallacious if you argue that an idea could lead somewhere. So it's not necessarily the slippery slope fallacy to say, well, where's this going? Okay. If a 13-year-old is capable of making decisions on how to alter their body sexually, then why isn't that same 13-year-old capable of legally making decisions to engage sexually as he or she wishes to with whatever age? Because chronological age doesn't matter, right? They just said that. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is this argument opens up Pandora's box 
for adult-on-child sex because you've already admitted, they've already admitted, this agenda, these people have already admitted that age doesn't matter when it comes to making sexual choices. So if you can mutilate your body and have a surgeon, you can sign off on that uh, when you're 13, then why can't you sign off on engaging sexually with somebody that's a lot older than you when you're the same age? So in other words, it eliminates um, the, the entire notion of statutory rape. Absolutely. Why yeah. wouldn't it? I mean, this is only logical. And legally, I don't know how they could argue that that's not where it's going. Dr. Piper, we're going to blow off our break here because it's going to leave us with too little time on the other side. Instead, instead we'll spend our final three minutes talking about the progress made against this type of mindset in your state of Oklahoma. The Secretary of Education, about whom we have talked in the past, has called for a teacher's license to be revoked. This literally happened just yesterday after it was revealed that this teacher provided students with access to, quote, pornographic material. In a letter to the State's Board of Education, um, um, the... Uh, Secretary of Education, whose first name is not given here, it just says Walters, which is ironic. Ryan, Ryan Walters. You know who it is. Thank you. Okay, I don't know why it doesn't say the first name. But anyway, in the letter, (coughs) Ryan Walters said that Ms. Boisemeyer's providing access to banned and pornographic material to students is unacceptable. We must ensure she doesn't go to another district and do the same thing. So in other words, firing isn't enough. We have to revoke the license of people who are doing this. That's a terrific positive step. It it is. And Ryan Walters, if anybody's listening right now who cares about the canary in the cave analogy, the canary in the mind, Oklahoma, and I've said it before in your show, Oklahoma, in my judgment, is the canary in the conservative mind of our culture. In other words, what goes in Oklahoma, the reddest of red states, is probably going to go elsewhere in your state and other states. Because if the canary is going to die in Oklahoma because of the poison of postmodernism and wokeism and this LGBTQIA sexual nihilism, then that canary is probably dead in a lot of other places around the country. And thank the Lord for Ryan Walters, who's a candidate for uh, the superintendent of public instruction position here in Oklahoma, Oklahoma, which is the highest education position in our state. He's a conservative. He understands that pornography should be taken out of our libraries and out of our classrooms and should not be included in the curriculum. He understands that when you're actually teaching kids um, by showing them pictures of uh, genderqueer, the book Genderqueer, I th- is it Mia Kabobi who wrote that? I can't remember the author right now. I don't remember now, the but, author's name either. Mm. Uh, I think that's it. But anyway, there are literal pictures in that book of um, underage boys engaging in sexual activity with men, okay? That's in our classrooms here in Oklahoma, and it's in your classrooms in Ohio, too, guaranteed. So we need to have somebody who's got the spine and the courage to step into this particular situation and say, no, teach our kids how to read, teach our kids how to write, teach our kids how to count, and maybe teach them a little bit of history that says that the Constitution is a good thing, not a bad thing. And that's all you should be doing. Leave our kids alone and stop trying to indoctrinate them with your sexual agenda. That is not your place. We're the moms and dads. You are not. And we want, we want them to be taught reading and writing and arithmetic and a little bit of positive history on the U- United States of America and then leave our kids alone. And if you just do that, we'd be, we'd be a lot better for it. That's what Ryan Walters is saying here in Oklahoma. 
Well, I'm glad to hear him saying it there, and I hope others will repeat it in other states, because that is extraordinarily important. Again, we're looking for baby steps toward solving an extraordinarily large problem uh, that is only getting worse. Dr. Everett Piper, uh, always a a pleasure and a privilege. Thank you so much for your wisdom and your insight. We'll talk next week. Blessings. Take care. 1028 now, Always Right Radio, back after the news, AM 1420. Take Bob on the go by downloading the WHK Radio app on the Google Play Store. Onward now at 1037. Thanks again to Dr. Everett Piper. Terrific, terrific information. Um, his article, his latest for the Washington Times, is up right now at alwayswrite.us, alwayswrite.us. Um, I believe most of the other stories we discussed there, including Christopher Rufo's latest on the uh, City Journal. Uh, all of those links are there right now at alwayswrite.us. Make sure that you check those out. My next guest uh, is also linked up right now <clears throat> to alwayswrite.us, the online companion to this radio show. And we're talking about the Senate race. More specifically, we're talking about Tim Ryan. The first time I interviewed J.D. Vance after Ryan's television campaign began, which was like literally the day after the May primary, he has been spending millions all summer long uh, in an attempt to do, as I said to J.D., essentially brand himself as a MAGA Republican. I mean, literally everything that he talks about refutes his, uh, his or rebukes his party, rather, uh, and, and seems to fall in line with the, the Make America Great Again or America First agenda. How on earth can that possibly be? Well, joining us now, Shane Harris from Newsweek, who wrote a piece that says it can't be. Don't fall for the makeover. Tim Ryan is a liberal Democrat. Shane, thanks for the time this morning. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for having me, Bob. So, you know, this campaign has been bizarre. Um, it, it, it's almost just a total attempt to revise history, his own personal history. What did you think when you first started seeing those spots? Right. Well, I mean, I thought it was completely ridiculous. You're talking about somebody who's been a Democrat in Congress for 20 years, and now he's going on TV, and, you know, people are confused as to if he's a Republican. I, I saw some stories of you know, pollsters contacting voters, and they, they thought, you know, I thought the Republican primary was over. I don't understand why we're still seeing ads from, from two Republicans on TV. And, you know, that's just not right. If you've been a Democrat in Congress for 20 years, you've taken plenty of votes that are that are far left of center. And uh, it, it's just dishonest, quite frankly, and voters deserve to know the truth about, about both candidates, but specifically Tim Ryan, who's engaged in this systematic cover-up of, of his agenda and his voting records. Shane Harris is my guest. He's a writer for uh, Newsweek. He's also formerly a staffer in the White House and in the United States Senate as well. So, yeah, I mean, I understand that, you know, Ohio is still widely considered to be purple, you know, despite its supermajorities in both houses of the uh, General Assembly uh, being Republican, despite Trump winning here the last two times by eight points plus. It's considered purple. And I do understand the desire to reach out to the moderate voters to try to pull them in uh, in what will be a hard-fought uh, race here against Vance. But it, it, it almost seems like he's going further than reaching moderates. He's really thinking he can somehow fool Republicans into coming over to his side, not just moderates, but re- actual MAGA Republicans. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, you know, I don't think it's something that's going to work. I think Ohio voters are smarter than that. And it really speaks to kind of the cynicism of the, of the Ryan campaign. 
that they think they can have it both ways, right? They think they can fool Republicans into voting for him, but at the same time give the hint, hint, wink, wink to the to the liberal Democrat base. Um, I, I saw a story just this week from Mary Margaret Olihan, a fantastic reporter over at the Daily Wire, and she has a story out. There's a, a video that leaked of Ryan telling a group of Democrats in Cleveland that he openly says, I'm a progressive. He admits he'll vote with them on all these divisive social issues, but he says, you know, we're leading out in front with economic issues. He's openly admitting he's trying to dupe Ohio voters, but at the same time, behind the scenes, he's promising all these progressives that he, he's going to vote uh, with their interests once he's in Congress, which ultimately is what really matters here. So voters just, just need to know that, that this is going on. Before we talk more about him, Shane, um, let me ask you about Vance. Do, do you think that some of the strategy inside Camp Ryan um, is knowing that a whole lot of conservatives were not fans of J.D. Vance, despite his victory in that very crowded race. Um, you know, a lot of conservatives felt like he was a rhino. Uh, he's bought and owned and paid for, and literally his campaign was largely funded by Silicon Valley and by Big Tech, which, of course, has been an enemy to enemy conservatives, um, that maybe Ryan is thinking and his team are thinking, we can pull disaffected Mandel and Gibbons voters over to our side if we can just give them a little bit, just give them enough to say, hey, I'm as good as Vance is. I am no worse in terms of uh, you know the ideological scale to the left uh, than J.D. Vance is, that I'm a legitimate option for you. Well, that's exactly what they're doing. But unfortunately, that, that's just not true. Um, you have somebody in, in J.D. Vance who, you know, yeah, he might have polarized some voters in the, uh, in the primary, but you're looking at somebody in Tim Ryan who, who has an established voting record in Congress. He's shown you what his true colors are. And so, you know, my message, and I think J.D. Vance's message should be to those voters, look, you may not have voted for me in the primary, but I'm going to vote with your interests far more than, than Tim Ryan is, and, and that's what really matters here. Um, my colleague, Hugh Hewitt, uh, who does our morning show on Salem uh, across the country, said that every television ad that airs before Labor Day is wasted. It's just a complete waste of money. It is pointless. Uh, and what Tim Ryan has done, spending six, seven million dollars or whatever it's been over the course of the summer is just wasted time. Nobody pays attention and nobody cares until Labor Day. Do you agree with that or no? I think it, I think it depends. Depends on the state, depends on your message. You know, Tim Ryan understands that, that he's got a, a big task ahead of him in, in flipping a state that went for eight points for uh, President Trump in 2020. But Tim Ryan also has the advantage of the, the Democratic establishment paved the way for him. They kind of shoved aside his, his uh, challengers and, and allowed him to kind of, you know, take center stage. And, and he could save a lot of his money for after the primary to, to start running ads. Versus you have J.D. Vance, who was in a very competitive primary, forced to spend a lot of his money to win that primary. And, you know, you've seen in the campaign finance reports, he, he's still trying to kind of build back up his funding base. And so Tim Ryan kind of has the luxury of being able to do both. He can run ads before the uh, Labor Day and after Labor Day. And so if you can do that, you know, if that's an option to you, it's definitely an advantage. Shane Harris is my guest. He's a writer and political consultant. He uh, wrote this piece on Tim Ryan for Newsweek. Um, Let me ask you about bigger picture. Uh, for, For the better part of the last six months or so, 
We have all expected this, maybe even longer, this massive Republican red wave, this tsunami, all of these different things we've talked about. Then the draft leak, uh, or excuse me, the leak of the uh, draft opinion in uh, on Dobbs was released in May, and the temperature started to change. Then it was actually delivered, and Roe is gone. And some say that the left is so fired up that the abortion issue has them so fired up. Uh, this is no longer a guaranteed Republican red wave. It's not even a guaranteed Republican win in either one of the chambers. What do you see? Well, I'm still optimistic. I definitely think that the the polling shift is significant, and it's something Republicans need to be aware of, but it's something you need to think pragmatically about responding to. Democrats have been mostly successful after the Roe decision of putting Republicans on defense and trying to paint the GOP as the extremist party on the issue of abortion. You know, most Americans don't even understand what the Roe decision was. If you listen to a Democrat, they'll tell you that the Roe decision meant that abortion is immediately outlawed in all forms in all 50 states right away. But Republicans haven't done the best job about messaging that that's not what the decision was, and that it's really Democrats that are the extremists on abortion. You know, Tim Ryan now has all these comments saying that he doesn't support late-term abortions, but the simple fact is is that he's voted for multiple bills that would have explicitly allowed that more than once. So it's the old adage of actions speak louder than words. And Republicans just on the abortion issue specifically need to do a better job of putting the Democrats back on their heels and forcing them to answer the question. Because the truth is that they are all on record as voting for late term abortions, which is completely out of step to what most Americans believe. So as far as the national political environment, it's definitely concerning. It's something that Republicans need to be aware of, but they just need to recalibrate and readjust their message heading into the, these crucial months of September and October. You know, um, you, you say that uh, they're trying to paint Republicans as extremists on abortion. They're going further than that. They're trying to paint Republicans as just extremists, period. This is Corrine Jean-Pierre yesterday. The president thinks that there is an extremist threat to our democracy. Uh, the president has been clear, as he can be, on that particular uh, piece when we talk about a democracy, when we talk about our freedoms. Uh, the way that he sees is the MAGA Republicans are the most energized part of the Republican Party, uh, the, that extreme, this is an extreme threat to our democracy, to our freedom, uh, to our rights. Uh, they just don't respect the rule of law. An extreme threat to our democracy, to our rights, to our freedoms, to our rule of law. And in fact, they don't believe in the rule of law. How do you respond? Well, I think it's a, it's a complete, it's completely ridiculous, quite honestly. I mean, you look at the records over the past few years, which party was it that was pushing for the draconian authoritarian COVID lockdowns? Which party is it that's weaponizing the FBI against parents in Virginia, that's using the FBI to raid President Trump's private home in Mar-a-Lago? I mean, the, the record on this, this issue is clear. It, it's the Democrats, if, if anybody, that are the true threat to democracy. And, you know, this is part and parcel for the left these days, where anything that they do, they want to turn it around and they want to project it onto Republicans. And, and it's just it, it's ridiculous. And, and anybody who's looking objectively at the record, I think, can see that. And uh, Republicans just have to make that case to voters ahead of the midterms. You know what's hard, though, Shane? And this is what I, I, I've been griping about this for three days ever since they made the announcement is Republicans don't have the opportunity to reach as many voters because they don't get free prime time uh, uh, advertising or campaigning time the way Joe Biden is going to get tonight. A nationally televised address on the quote-unquote soul of our nation, in which, according to um, uh, people who are inside, is going to be more of what you just heard from Kareem Jean-Pierre. Republicans are evil. Republicans are, are dangerous. Republicans don't uh, believe in law and order, don't believe in law enforcement. Uh, they're the real threat to democracy. He's, gonna get, he's not going on TV to talk about 
killing Osama bin Laden. It's not a national state of the union. This is a pure partisan political event on prime time. He's getting free in-kind <laughs> contribution advertising from all of the networks. How do the Republicans counter that? Well, you know, it's difficult. And quite honestly, you know, optimistically, the best way to counter that is the fact that Joe Biden can hardly make it through a major primetime speech. I mean, the guy has clearly lost it. And, uh, you know, when he gets up there on stage tonight, you know, who knows what's going to come out of his mouth. Every time he gets in front of a camera, he seems to have a major gap. And so Republicans' best weapon is just the truth. And you have to keep repeating and saying the truth. And uh, eventually, you just have to believe that, that that's going to come through. And, you know, it, it is difficult. There are so many forces arraigned against Republicans. Just before we came on the air here, just to give you, give you an example, I went on Google and I just typed in the name Tim Ryan and J.D. Vance. Tim Ryan, the first thing that comes up is an ad to his Axlue account, Donate to Tim Ryan. You search J.D. Vance, the first thing that comes up are five headlines that are, that are critical of him. And you have to scroll down to even get to his campaign page. So, it, it, you know, it's not just that. It, it's big tech. It's, it's all the major institutions in our country are aligned against Republicans. So, so you're right. And that breaking through that kind of firewall is a real is a real challenge. Yeah, that's the real frustration that I'm talking about here, because I, I see it every day. Same thing you do whenever you do use. Uh, I don't use Google. I use DuckDuckGo for that reason. But even some of the other, um, you know, alternate search engines, they still have a hard time pro- providing free and fair uh, promotion or you know uh, uh, algorithms that allow these things to be to come up uh, organically rather than with a with a with a partisan. Um, agenda in mind uh so big tech is against them uh big media what donald trump called the uh you know the enemy of the people are are against the republicans and that's why i agree with you that's why as much as the dobbs thing which a lot of people still don't even understand as much as there are issues that may drive democrats and drive uh you know leftists against republicans the media and the social media and the big tech platforms are 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 probably even more important in, in terms of the agenda Right, right. And I think Republicans have a responsibility to, to step up and do something about that. You kind of heard rumblings of it recently. It's obviously difficult now not holding either chamber of Congress. But I think Republicans are starting to wake up and realize, look, uh, social media, that is the modern public square. And we have a responsibility yeah. to regulate that and ensure that all voices are heard equally. And so I think that should be a major agenda item if and when Republicans do take back control uh, this Congress, and they need to push President Biden to do something on that. And if he doesn't, then that exposes true colors and sets Republicans up even better in 2024. So I, I think Republicans shouldn't lose sight of that. Even though the economy should be the primary thrust of our message, we shouldn't lose sight of, you know, making sure that that the people understand that that, that they're being duped and they're being lied to. Do you think, since you brought up the economy, do you think uh, 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 that that most Americans understand? Um, that we're still in a far, far worse place than we were a year and a half ago when Joe Biden took over? Because their messaging has been very, very consistent. You know, gas prices fell for the 12th straight week. That's a Biden win. Biden is really doing terrific things to lower the cost. Uh, inflation is down. Uh, never mind the fact that, you know, I, I, I liken it to somebody who has, you know, gained, you know, 200 pounds and they weigh 400 pounds and they're bragging when they're down to 330. You are still grossly obese. You are still in very, very unhealthy territory, and so is our economy. Do you think people get that? I think they do. The economy is the one thing that, that everybody feels. You know, everybody has to go to the grocery store, and, and they understand how much more expensive things are. Uh, everybody has to has to go to the gas pump and fill up. And, you know, even even if it's cheaper than it was a week ago or a month ago, they still understand that it's more than it was when Joe Biden took office. 
And so the economy is one of those things that, you know, if you're a party in power, you can't hide. You can, you can potentially hide when things go wrong, uh, you know, in foreign policy. You can, you can hide when you have some policy failure elsewhere. But when things are going bad in the economy and, and people's wallets are hurting, that's one thing that you, you can't put window dressing on it. And so that's, that's one thing Republicans can be confident in is that that messaging is hitting home no matter what Democrats say because people feel it. We're talking to uh, Shane Harris, who wrote a terrific piece for Newsweek about Tim Ryan. Do not fall for the makeover. Tim, Tim Ryan is a liberal Democrat. Let's bring this conversation full circle and come back to Tim Ryan now into J.D. Vance. Uh, despite the massive amount of money uh, Ryan spent over the summer that we just discussed uh, and his attempt to rebrand himself as being a moderate or even a conservative, the two polls that I saw last week both have J.D. Vance up by seven in one, which was, I think, a Republican poll uh, by four in the Trafalgar poll, which is, uh, I believe, independent. So uh, it, it looks like it's still a very, very tough climb for Tim Ryan to sell that against uh, J.D. Vance in this state. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, what we've seen recently, especially in Ohio, is, is that the polling industry has got it wrong more than they've gotten it right. Uh, you know, in 2020, uh, 538 had Ohio as a toss-up. They had Biden actually ahead by about 0.2 percentage points heading into Election Day, and, and Trump ended up winning by eight points. You know, if that holds true again this year, you're talking about a comfortable win for, for J.D. Vance. Um, and I do think that, that we have seen Tim Ryan peak uh, now that, that the Vance campaign is starting to go up on TV. Uh, you know, he's starting to get out there and message with voters more. They're starting to find their footing a little bit. You're starting to see the tide sh- shift. And so I think for Democrats, you know, they're just too far gone. In Ohio, you know, the working class has woken up and realized that the Democratic Party no longer represents their interests, no longer stands for what they stand for. And, and so I am optimistic, but I, I think that means we need to step on the gas even harder and, uh, and, you know, keep pushing this message to voters. Hey, Shane, super quick before you go, while you're covering this and, and focusing on Ohio, um, are you looking out of the corner of your eye at all at Pennsylvania? Any thoughts on that Fetterman and Oz race? I am, yeah. Um, I'm a little less optimistic in Pennsylvania. I think that, uh, you know, it's a different situation there. It's a different state. You have a massive city in Philadelphia that's very democratic that, you know, you've got Cleveland and Ohio, but it's not necessarily the same animal. Um, you know, that race is a little bit different. I think that Oz needs to do some recalibration there. And they need to highlight the fact that, you know, Fetterman can barely string together a few sentences. You know, following his stroke, there are real legitimate questions about his fitness for office, just like there are with President Biden. And that's a parallel Republicans would be smart to make there as well. And I think should be a major, major issue heading into the final weeks of that campaign. Yeah, it should be. I don't think it will be, though. I, th- I think the sympathy, as much as anything else, oh, the man had a stroke. It's not his fault. He sounds like he does. We're going to give him our support. I mean, how can we do that to somebody who suffered such a terrible thing? Never mind the fact that that may impact his ability to make decisions and make arguments and understand things and so forth if he's sitting in one of the 100 most powerful seats in the world in the United States Senate. That's a, that's a troubling aspect of this. Shane Harris, Newsweek, a terrific piece. It is linked right now to alwaysright.us. His uh, piece on Tim Ryan, he is a liberal Democrat. Don't let him tell you otherwise. Shane, thank you so much. We appreciate the time. All right. Thank you, Bob. You got it. 1055, right back. Always Right Radio. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by Keeping Medicare Simple and The Floor King. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? 
Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Onward into hour number three on a Thursday. Nine minutes after 11 o'clock. It's the first morning of the ninth month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Appreciate you being with us. If you missed either one of the last two conversations that we had, you need to catch it. You really do. They'll be on the podcast page shortly after the show ends at noon. You, you can find it at whkradio.com. You can also find it on my page at alwayswrite.us, but make sure that you do indeed uh, check those out. We talked to Dr. Everett Piper about some extraordinarily important things regarding the culture war, particularly the sexualization and the destruction, the butchering of our children and the elimination of the parental role in that process. That conversation is worth uh, going to the podcast page all on its own. And then the conversation we just had with Shane Harris, if you are in any way, um, in any way, if you are unsure of what you are going to do in November when it comes to the Senate race, um, if you think that Tim Ryan is somehow really more conservative than you really thought he was, you've been bamboozled, you've been hoodwinked, you've been lied to uh, by his campaign and by the, his television ads. He is a full-on American leftist, not just a liberal, but a leftist, voting with Chuck Schumer and Joe Biden literally 100% of the time. That conversation with Shane Harris from Newsweek, also worth worth the, worth the uh, time at alwayswrite.us, alwayswrite.us. Now, I want to go back to something I talked about a little bit yesterday, and this time I'm going in a little more in-depth because we're going to talk to the person who wrote the piece. But um, in case you didn't see this, on August 24th, so a little bit over a week ago, California banned the sale of new gasoline-powered cars starting in 2035. On August 21st, they announced a ban on gasoline-powered cars. All right, you got that? On August 30th, six days later, California issued a statement to all residents telling them to avoid charging their electric vehicles. No gas cars, use the EVs. And oh, by the way, you can't charge the EVs. I wish I was making that up. I'm not. I'll give you the direct quote. During a flex alert, customers are urged to reduce energy use from 4 to 9 p.m. You know, 4 o'clock like when you're coming home from work and then you plug in your car. Don't use it because the system is most stressed at that point because the demand for electricity remains high and there's less solar energy available. The top three conservation actions are to set their thermostats to 78 or higher because that's like super comfortable. Avoid using large appliances and avoid charging your electric vehicles. It is impossible, I said it before, I will say it again, to comprehend the depth of the stupidity of the modern American Democrat. We're trying. We really, really are. 
but I have had no success in understanding that to this point. Yesterday we told you about 10 facts electric vehicle advocates don't want you to know. That piece was by Mark Tapscott in PJ Media. He joins us now with some more on it and some reaction to California. It's insanity. Mark, thanks for the time. I appreciate you coming on. How are you? I am fine. How are you today? I'm good because I don't have to go outside and worry about whether I'm allowed to plug in my car or not. Um, but unfortunately, we might have to be worried about that very, very soon. Uh, let's talk about the mandates. First of all, before we get into the 10 facts and some of the other things you'd like to share with us about uh, uh, over-reliance on EV use, um, let's talk about uh, you know what California has done. And from what I have read, as many as 14 other states have also done or agreed to ban the sale of gas-powered cars by 2035 in their states. What do you make of that? Yeah. Well, Number one, if it's California doing it, that's that's an assumption of you better think twice. Um, and and number two, as as you put it, and I hate to say this, but it is absolutely the truth. The idea that we are going to convert from gas powered vehicles and and fossil fuel based economy like we have now to an electric vehicle transportation system in the next 10 years or eight years, if you're Joe Biden, it's, it's stupid. It is not going to happen. It is physically impossible to do. And yet they are forcing it down our throats and they are, you know, looking at every possible way they can do that. Um, the fact that California within a week, as you pointed out, um, of passing that mandate had to tell people don't recharge your cars. EVs only make up about 3% of the California vehicle population right now. And if they can't afford to do for 3%, how in the world are they going to do it for 100%? The answer, of course, is they can't. Yeah, the the electric infrastructure would would make that literally physically uh, impossible. You, you, you simply right. cannot possibly keep up, uh, you know, with the demand, uh, on, on the grid. If, if you literally go from millions and millions of, of California cars, and, and this is just one state, much less the goal here by the Brandon administration is to do this yeah. everywhere, to outlaw the right. internal combustion engine everywhere. And not just cars, tractors and combines and, and virtually every place where gas is used, they want to replace it with these batteries that are, that are powered by electricity and mark tapscott from pj media do you want to tell him or do you want me to that if we did such a thing we would use more coal and more natural gas than we have ever even dreamed of in the history of our country as they try to stop the use of fossil fuels that's exactly right um the 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 big secret that the environmentalists don't want to have to have to talk about in public is that electricity has to be generated somewhere and somehow. And as things stand right now, about 80% of all the energy use in this country is a product of fossil fuels. Um, and converting from that to solar and wind, from so-called renewable ones, it's, it's not going to happen. You would have to carpet the entire western third of the U.S. in solar panels which we would have to buy from China, basically, uh, in order to have the possibility of producing enough electricity. But, of course, on cloudy days, forget it. So 
Sorry, yeah, sorry about your luck on cloudy days. Well, that's why they said after yeah. between four and nine, uh, there's less solar sorry. power that's able to be to, to be uh, generated. Um, yeah, and, sorry, and, sorry, boss. Uh, it's cloudy outside. I can't come in today. <laughs> that's exactly right. And you know, and and yet, you know, let's just let's just entertain ourselves for a moment. You don't have to agree, but I want you to look in my eyes. I guarantee you. I guarantee you. We're going to end fossil fuel, and I am not going to cooperate. Okay. So he says these things, Mark Tapscott from PJ Media, to his radical gangrene base, and they cheer and wildly. They have no earthly idea, as you said, what the source of energy or of electricity is. And they also don't talk about, as this is a great big, you know, save the planet movement, what you just said about you could blanket the entire country in solar panels and still not generate enough electricity to run things. And not to mention the fact that the solar panels, just like the electric car batteries, just like the wind turbine blades, are non-biodegradable. They don't, well, they don't, they don't decompose. They fill landfills and will until there are mountains of them, and then they're going to start dumping them in the ocean. And how great is that for the environment? Uh, you know, you just, you just nailed it again. Somewhere, there's, let's just assume, for purposes of discussion, that, that half of all the vehicles in America are uh, EVs, electric mm-hmm. vehicles. Okay. Every couple of years there's going to have to be a turnover with new batteries and that means we're going to have millions and millions and millions of these things and no place to put them you know we used to argue about where are we going to put nuclear waste from nuclear power plants that problem is minuscule compared to the problem that we will have disposing of all these batteries all of these busted up solar panels that, as you said, don't biodegrade, and all of the uh, the wind turbine blades that kill eagles, by the way, and other birds. Um, there's just the only word that I can think of that, that is uh, honestly describes the mentality that wants this is, as you said, <laughs> stupidity. It ain't going to work. Yeah, and you know we we talk often about um, which is the more dangerous quality for for American leaders to have stupidity or dishonesty because I I think I think the modern American Democrat is too stupid to know but I think the leadership does know they're just lying about it they don't talk about it they don't bring those things up they hide it the best they can because it would get in the way of their agenda so I think you have kind of a, a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B going on here. Yeah, I think there's a column C too that is that is the fundamental source. Which is, and there was a book written that you may be familiar with by Hannah Aaron, the totalitarian temptation. In the heart of every leftist is the desire to tell everybody else how to live their life, and they want to do that through government power. You open this segment with that wonderful. Uh, clip from uh, President Reagan's great speech in 1964, which, by the way, is what got me interested in this stuff when I was 14 years old. Um, that's exactly the point. You know, who is going to decide how we live our lives? You and I in our private capacities with our families and so forth, or some bureaucrat who's not elected sitting off in a distant capital in Washington, D.C., in some building that nobody can see um, because it looks like every other building in Washington, D.C., and you have no chance of 
you know, changing things. You just do what they tell you to. Well, that was the promise of this republic when it was gifted to us, that we would be able yeah. to live our lives privately and make our own decisions. The government would only be there to assist us when we asked for it on various things regarding infrastructure and so forth, but that, right. that, that our lives would be our own. And that is exactly uh, what they are trying to destroy now. They are trying to destroy the basic foundation of the constitutional principles upon which this republic was built, and they want to start it over in a Marxist-slash-socialist type of um, ideology and economic system and that and that is that is I think at the heart of all this this is where we get into the the dishonest part of the column that I mentioned or as you call it totalitarian it really is it is telling people yeah. you know don't you worry we'll give you we'll make sure you have the rations you need we'll make sure that everybody has it all on an equitable basis everybody will have the same it doesn't matter what you are or how hard you work or how hard you try we'll make sure that everybody has the same opportunities as everybody else well not opportunities same outcomes as everybody else and that that to me is 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 terrifying. Yeah, you know uh, Reagan concluded that speech in 1964 by um, telling us, "You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We can choose for this um, our children and our grandchildren, this the last best hope on earth of freedom on earth, or we can sentence them to a thousand years of darkness. At least let them say of us, we did all that could be done." And, you know, there's a lot to be done these days because the folks on the other side, they never stop. They never give up. They're constantly trying to tell us how to run our lives. Well, Mark, we're talking to Mark Tapscott, PJ Media. We play that part of the Reagan speech as well at various times on this program. So I'm very familiar with it. and. So let's talk about what what's to be done. You know, you've got these ten things that they don't want you to know, or uh, you know, as far about about being you know EV reliant in this country. So let's just say for a second that the uh, the powers that be re- retain that power and they go forward with their with their plan to make us energy dependent, particularly when it comes to the you know the uh, uh, the the uh, ingredients of these batteries, the cobalt, the manganese, the lithium that we have to yeah. get from Africa, we have to get from China. So we're energy dependent on other countries. If I recognize this danger, you recognize this danger, and a whole bunch of us do, but we're not the ones in power. What do we do? What is the work that we can do to try to stop this insanity? Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, Elon Musk said something this this past week that, frankly, I didn't expect to hear from him, but he did say it, and it's absolutely true. Um, He said, and I'm not quoting him exactly, but I think I've got the gist of it, that... um, we can't do without fossil fuels. I'll uh, I'll quote is- him for you, Mark. You can you can finish this up, but as I have it in front of me, I have this uh, link to my page. Realistically, he said, "I think we need to use oil and gas in the short term because otherwise civilization will crumble." One of the biggest challenges yeah. the world has ever faced is the transition to sustainable energy and a sustainable economy that will take some decades to complete. So here's a guy who owns the most powerful electric vehicle company in the world telling everybody, yeah. we need oil and gas. We need to use fossil fuels or else the entire thing will crumble. Go ahead. Yeah, and that's, and that's, that's basically he's saying in, in a much more succinct way exactly the point I try to make that, you know, you can argue whether or not we should, but if you assume that we should make the transition, you've got to do it in an honest and forthright manner, and that means you have to acknowledge 
as Elon Musk said, it will take a long time. Um, and you can't force it on people. And, uh, you know, if Elon Musk is saying that, then that, that to me is an indication that um, the further along this road we get in the next couple of years, the more clear it's going to become to more and more people that, wait a minute, this is not a good idea. Let's rethink this. Um, and I think what's going to happen in November when everybody goes to vote for a new Congress, uh, I think that's going to be a good indication of um, how soon or how much longer it will take to get to that point when people say, wait a minute. Mark uh, Tapscott is my guest. He is a writer for PJ Media, did a terrific piece, 10 Facts of Electric Vehicle Advocates Don't Want You to Know. It's linked to my page at alwayswrite.us, as will this interview be uh, in just a short while. Mark, thank you for writing it. Thanks for talking about it with us, and thanks for making people aware of it. Uh, that is that is step number one, is we've got to make sure people know what the reality is. So we appreciate your, yeah. your part in that. Well, listen, man, thanks for having me on, and let's do it again. Let's plan on it. Appreciate that. We'll do it. Thank you, Mark. Right. That's Mark Tapscott uh, from PJ Media. We'll take this time out now at 1125. Always Right Radio will return, however, on AM 1420, The Answer. With no particular place to go. Riding along in my automobile. I was anxious to tell her the way I Okay, 1128, another great interview for you to catch if you missed it uh, online at alwayswrite.us. Let's get a phone call in here before the bottom of the hour news. Sally is in Berea. wants to go back to the border conversation we were having earlier in the program. Sally, thanks for your patience. Go ahead. Hi, Bob. Um, I'm taking issue with the idea that um, Governor Abbott should send um, buses to other cities other than sanctuary ones. The sanctuary ones... They brag about it. Let them take it. But people like Cleveland, we are already suffering from the reduction in the police force that the city has been experiencing and is likely to continue to. And so the crime has been expanding into the suburbs. The city of Lakewood has had increased carjackings. One of them was in the middle of the day. And recently, Rocky River had a carjacking. And it's like you can't feel safe even in the suburbs anymore. You have to be vigilant all the time and aware of your surroundings. And that's that's a um, scary thought. Well, it is. And, you know, it crosses over a lot of the issues that we're talking about. You know, you're talking about shipping of the illegal aliens, many of whom may be violent, may be dangerous to various parts of the country. And you have to add into that the the fact that they continue to try to disarm us, to try to take away our right to protect ourselves with concealed carry or open carry and uh, the types of guns that we can have. And, oh, by the way, policing, particularly in Cleveland, is down so extraordinarily. The manpower. There are 300 officers under what they are budgeted for, and so you're right. If something bad happens, carjackings and these kinds of things happens uh, happen, uh, we're at more risk now, and in fact probably in more risk now than we have ever been. Yes, I, I agree. And um, also just, you know, the increase in the drugs has affected nationwide, and we have relatives in Houston, and they know firsthand the... Um, impact on all of texas but it's it's across the whole country 
It is. And we have to put a stop to it. Fentanyl, fentanyl uh, trafficking across our southern border, which is, again, going back to the issue. And thank you for the call, Sally. Fentanyl is the number one killer of, of young people in America today. It is, it is, it's not refutable, and it's not even close. And yet they continue to seize you know, enough fentanyl to kill millions of people at a time coming across that border on a regular basis. And, of course, if that's what they're seizing, it begs the question, what are they missing? 11.30, we'll get our news now. We'll come back. I've got time for more calls between now and 11.45, so let's do it together at 216-901-0945. Right back. Don't have time to call in? Try the sound off feature on alwaysright.us and make your voice heard. Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and Keeping Medicare Simple. 1137 now, Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Don't forget to leave your messages for me on the sound off button at alwaysright.us. Make sure you bookmark that on your browser, alwaysright.us, so you can check it every morning for the news of the day. And then make sure you also have a place for that uh, sound off button. Click it, record your message for me, and send it to me. And then I receive it kind of like this. Good morning, Bob. So this discussion just about uh, the transition to the renewable energy uh, sources, you know, it really reminds me of Pol Pot and the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia. I believe that's what happened. They, The communists there, they basically forced all the people out of the cities, onto farms, people that were not agricultural, they didn't know what they were doing, and basically you just had mass starvation in Cambodia. And then uh, people starving, of course, then other people being killed off. Um, and that's, I don't know, it just seems like that, that they're all, besides states here, California, and other states in the EU, that there's no... Uh, they have no other plan. They're just going to make people suffer and just say, well, get used to it um, to take us all down to third world status and third world type type living conditions. When, right, isn't there supposed to be some some record heat wave hitting the West and they're still going to force all these changes, but yet they don't have any backup and people go trying to turn on their air conditioning or, or use their power, they're going to just be totally out of luck. Um, I, I don't know. It all seems so obvious. It's, you, do, you just wonder. They, they just want people to suffer on purpose, and they literally don't care. I don't know. I think that's, that's about it. Thank you for listening to me. You have a great Labor Day. Thank Bye. you, Derek. I appreciate that message uh, to alwayswrite.us from Richfield. Um, listen. Suffering is the precursor to desperation. Desperation is the precursor to being or accepting rather anything and everything that they can give you to relieve your suffering. Right? You just you just kind of outlined it. You answered your own question. What's the purpose? To make people miserable, to make people suffer? Sure. Why? What do a misery living, suffering, what do misery, uh, uh, experiencing and suffering people, uh, what do they do? 
they will be grateful and thankful to anybody who will help alleviate some of their suffering, some of their misery. And they will turn to whom to do that? Their daddy. Big daddy government. This is what leftism is all about. This is what communism, quite frankly, is all about. The government will be in control. Don't you worry, son. I've got a piece of bread for you. You won't be hungry now. Come back tomorrow. I'll give you another one. Well, what if I want a whole loaf of bread? I'll work really hard for it. No, you can't do that. Don't worry about it. We'll give you what you need. We'll dole it out. We'll make sure that you don't starve and that no one else does. Whether you're still hungry or not, doesn't matter. You won't starve. You'll exist. You'll subsist. You'll get by. That's exactly what the goal is here. Yes, people are going to be miserable. Yes, when the electric, electrical good grid crashes, because they take what is now 3% of California's vehicles being electric vehicles and make them 100%. And then everyone is in the dark and everyone was, is without power. Who is going to look out for us? Are we all going to be farming and living by candlelight and kerosene lamp? Of course not. Most people would shrivel up and die. And they will look to somebody to alleviate their suffering. Government steps in, and the government is in full and total control. People don't misunderstand the intent here. And all in the name of saving the planet. We've got to save the planet. Oh, the climate. Oh, the global warming. Oh, the global freezing. No, it's back to global warming. Oh, the climate. It all sounds so good and so necessary until you're starving. Uh, Laura is in Elyria. Uh, Laura, thanks for your patience. I appreciate that. Go right ahead. Hi, Bob. Uh, this story, I guess, just broke yesterday or late last night, and I just found it out, and I wanted to bring awareness to it. Okay. But 20 of the Major League Baseball teams are promoting or funding groups that perform child sex change operations. Now, there's five teams that are actually doing the child sex change operations, and guess which one of them is the Cleveland Guardian. I I have had not been made aware of the teams. I did hear that the league as a as a whole, Major League Baseball as a body was going to be doing some sort of statements about it. So when you say supporting it, do you mean financially? They're financially. Yeah. Wow. wow. They're promoting it through millions of dollars are going into this these organizations. They're having their pride nights and they're indoctrinating the kids through this way. Now, the other teams, such as the Dodgers and the Steelers, they're doing medical procedures, giving money for that, or they're doing counseling. And then the other group of the teams are doing lobbyists for NBC. This but is... when I found this out, I thought, my God, you know, we should all be upset over this. Yeah. And especially to think that the Dolans are conservative, too. Yeah, they're Republican. Yeah, There's a difference. Right. They're Republican. They're not conservative. Okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, they're, 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 there is a difference there. You really lived for, for years, for decades of my life. I was such a huge sports fanatic. When I left my teaching career for radio, it was in sports radio. I started out in sports radio in 1997. I was doing sports radio for almost my entire career until around 2003. And that's when I, I finally was able to transition into news or a combination of news and sports. And I couldn't get enough of it. And now I won't watch it. Now ESPN is a block on my TV because of what they're doing to sports and what sports are doing to our culture. That is disgusting. That is reprehensible. I'm glad you made me aware of it. Thank you, Sally. We'll probably talk about that on tomorrow's program. 
Thanks to my guest today. I really appreciate Dr. Everett Piper. Thanks to uh, Shane Harris. Thanks to Mark Tapscott. Thanks to my crew, Johnny and Marianne and Marcy. And thanks to you for listening. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. Let's go, Brandon. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.